Now, one of my favorite stories on winning was something that I saw, I saw it about two or three years ago. It was actually on, on YouTube, and it's about the, uh, the, most, the most difficult ultra-marathon race that there is. Uh, it is a race that goes from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia. It's a 543.7-mile race. Absolutely crazy. Now, I know that we have a couple of people in the church. They are ultra-marathoners. And now, this race became famous in 1983 because of a guy named Cliff Young. Now, uh, Cliff Young was 61 years old. He was a, uh, a guy that showed up at the race wearing overalls and galoshes. Now, everybody that saw him just thought that he was a spectator until he walked over to the registration booth. And they kind of looked at each other and they thought, this has got to be, this cannot be for real. It's got to be a joke. Well, he signed up for the race. Now, what they did not know about him is that he is a shepherd. And he had over 2,000 sheep. He didn't have any ATVs or trucks or anything like that. The way that he rounded up his sheep is he would run. And he said, sometimes to round them all up, it would take me two to three days just constantly running. So he heard about this race and he thought, I think I could do this race. So he shows up at the race, they do the start, and here's this man wearing, you know, overalls and galoshes, and uh, 150 world-class runners and Cliff Young. They take off, Cliff Young is left in the dust, and he's just sort of back there, just sort of trotting along, uh, plodding along during the race, but here's what's interesting. Five days later, the first person to cross the finish line was 61-year-old Cliff Young. He did it in record time. Now, here's what's amazing. He didn't just win the race by a few seconds, didn't win it by a few minutes. He won it by nine hours and 56 minutes. Okay, so I'm thinking this dude cheated and rode in a car or something. Now, here's what happened. When they run the race, typically what the runners will do, they'll run 18 hours a day, and then they'll go in, sleep for six hours, wake up the next morning, and go run another 18 hours. Cliff Young did not do that. He ran for five consecutive days and never stopped. He became an overnight national hero, a man wearing overalls, galoshes, and no teeth in his head, won the race. Absolutely a great story. You can YouTube the story. It is a great story. Now, I love stories like that because I, like everybody else, we love winners. Unless, of course, you're a Patriots fan. But we love, uh, we love winners, right? I mean, we just think they're fun. And, and that's something in my life that I want to be. I want to win. And that should also be a desire for those of us who are believers. For those of us who are followers of Christ, that should be the desire for the church that we are a church, that we are a people, that we are Christians who desire to be victorious. And so today what we're going to see in our scripture is the Apostle Paul laid out a formula for winning, for being victorious. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Now it's in our text today that Paul used a sporting analogy. And, and Paul was a man, obviously, as you read through his letters, he loved sports. And so he's writing to the Corinthian church, which was located, of course, in the town of Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. But uh, the, the, the city of Corinth was the home to what was known as the Isthmian Games. It was like a step below the Olympic Games. 
And so it's in this town, Paul uses a sporting analogy. There were a group of people who love sports, much like our society today, we love sports. And so he shared with them, using sporting analogies, how as believers we can win. How as believers we can be victorious. And, and I think sometimes as Christians and as churches, we lose sight of the fact that God has called us to be victorious. You know, it's easy to, you can watch the news, you can see what's happening in the world, and you think, man, we don't stand a chance. I mean, the world is just, it is going to pot, and we're ready to quit and give up. But whenever I read Scripture, that's not what I see in Scripture. God has called His people, He's called the church to be victorious. Now, the question is, how do we do that? What, what is the formula for victory? And Paul shares it with us in our text today. And here's the first thing I want to point out to you. The first part of a formula for winning is if we are going to be winners as believers and as a church, we have to develop a winning attitude. And I see that in verse 24. It says, do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. I like that. If you're going to run the race, Paul says, run in such a way that you're going to win. Now, how do we develop that kind of an attitude that we're going to run to win? Well, it, take, it, it takes a positive attitude. Uh, have you all ever heard of Zig Ziglar before? He was a positive thinking guru, and, and he, he gave a speech one time, and he said, I am so positive. That anytime I go fishing, I always bring along with me a jar of tartar sauce. Now that, I mean, that is a guy that was positive. Uh, Muhammad Ali, great boxer. I mean, it's a guy that was just, I mean, obviously he was very, he was a guy that really believed in himself. He said, the only way I could ever get licked is if I was a postage stamp. Now that's a man who believed in himself. Now whenever I read the Bible, you know, you think, man, those guys are, that's kind of cocky. But did you know there are people in the Bible that had that kind of an attitude where they really believed in victory, that they believed they could win? One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is with a guy named David. Y'all remember the story of David and Goliath? David, was he was a shepherd boy, and he shows up bringing a meal to his brothers, this huge, huge giant over nine feet tall. And nobody's going to fight him. Everybody's scared of him. And, and David, a shepherd boy, comes in and says, I'll take him on. And his brothers look at him, and they think he's being arrogant. They're like, you're trying to upstage us. King Saul himself, when he saw David, he said, you're too small. You're just a boy. There's no way that you can win. But David believed he had a winning attitude that he could win. Now, it wasn't that he was being cocky and arrogant and he was just out of his mind. It's that he had seen how God had worked in his past. God had given him victories over the lion and the bear as he was protecting his sheep. He's like, this man is blaspheming God. He said, I will stand for God and allow God to work with me and work through me, and I will be victorious. What happened? He won. How did it happen? Because he had a winning attitude. Guys, just like David, there's going to be a lot of times in our lives when we are going to face giants. We're going to face obstacles before us. There'll be times whenever our families will look at us and they might criticize us for the dreams that we have. And we might have 
co-workers or colleagues who look at us and, and they think, there's no way that I'm going to follow your leadership. But here's the question, do you believe that you can be victorious in Jesus? Village Church, do we believe, Christians, do you believe that you can live a life that matters and that makes a difference and that can impact the lives of the people in Columbia, in our workplaces, in our schools? Do we believe we can live a life that will make a difference? If Jesus is with us, we should believe that. If we're going to believe that, it's going to take also, though, an enthusiastic spirit. I love enthusiasm. You know, whenever you see people who are enthusiastic, one thing I've noticed, it, it is contagious. It is so contagious. That's why in the, in the, in the, our first service is great. But when the, when the young people, and there's some of the young people aren't in the first service, oh, I'm like, man, where are they? Because y'all get more excited than, than people like me. You know, I, I, we just, we, I don't know what happens. I, I just, I, either we're just tired or I don't know what's going on. But it is fun to be around people who are awake and alive. Football games. I mean, every time I go to a Carolina football game, I moved here when I was in uh, my senior year in high school. I remember the first Carolina football game I went to. When I moved here, Carolina was at the, they were a powerhouse back in the 80s. Anyway, so I'm kidding. So I come to the game. And, uh, and the, the great thing, though, is they played 2001. I'd never heard that before. You know, amazing. I mean, I got, you know, I, got, I don't even know, I don't even know what a Gamecock is. And I'm getting chills, you know, listening to it. And the fans you know, you'd look over in the student section, like, ah, oh, they're students, like, they're crazy. Of course they're going to be excited. So they're jumping up and down, and, but then it begins to ripple through the crowd, and you see these people, you know, old people, like in their 40s, and, you know, and they're standing up, and they're cheering, and then it's, it's, it's men and women, and then Carolina gets a first down, and it's, a, it's another Carolina. Yeah, first down. You know, people are just so excited. And I sit there, and I look at that, and I think, wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of enthusiasm? For the things of God. Now, I'm not talking about y'all standing up and doing Y'all would freak me out if y'all started doing stuff like that, if the wave's going on. But I'm talking about having an excitement about who God is and what God can do. Enthusiasm is powerful because it motivates and it moves people. But when's the last time you've seen that? The things of God. You see, I believe a lot of times that as Christians and as a church... We, we don't see much happening concerning matters of faith in our workplaces and in our communities for a very simple reason. Because we don't believe much will happen. Belief is so important. It matters. C.S. Lewis, an author, said, You never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. Now let me tell you something. Our faith, what we say we believe in, it, let me tell you, life and death hinges on our faith. And if we don't have a winning attitude, if we don't believe it's really all that important, that it's really going to make a difference, then there's no point in us having a faith in anything. And that's contagious to the people around us. They, they, people are able to look at us and see if what we believe is something that we really believe. We have to have the kind of attitude where we are believing. Where we believe that God makes a difference. Another way to have a winning attitude is also to have a commitment. 
An unstoppable commitment. Verse 25 tells us, Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Paul says we will compete. We will come into this life, in this world, and we will compete for the things of God. That word compete, it means to agonize and to struggle. As believers, if if we are committed to our faith, it means there will be times when we will agonize and struggle through this life regardless because we have such a strong belief that God is real. Paul was serious about his life counting for Christ. In verse number 26, Paul wrote, Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. My faith is real. It's going to make a difference. He was so committed to his faith that Paul lost his life because of his faith, because he believed that God would one day raise him from the dead. Whenever you look into the Old Testament, you see that Job, if you know the story of Job, this is a guy, you think you're having a bad day, read Job. Job is suffering. Where's God? And here's what he says. He says, though God slay me, yet will I serve him. Why, why did he say that? Because he believed God was true. He believed that God would take care of him one day. Then I continue to read in the scripture and I see a man named Doubting Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus. He didn't see Jesus after he'd been risen from the dead. And he said, I'm not going to believe it until I stick my finger in his side. And I see him with my own eyes. Well, Jesus shows up. And as soon as Thomas saw him, Thomas got down on his knees and he said, I will die for him. Let me ask you a question. What about you? I mean, do you have that kind of a belief in Jesus that he's real, that what his word says is true, that you're willing to follow through in living for God regardless of what's going on around you because you believe he's real? John Wesley, a famous evangelist, said, Give me a hundred men who have nothing to fear but sin, who desire nothing but God, and these men alone will shake the gates of hell. Let me tell you something. I I desire to see the gates of hell shaken. But it's only going to happen. We, as believers, have a belief the God of this book is true to his word. And he's real. So so how how do I come out victorious in life? Well, it begins with this. It begins with having a winning attitude. But the second part of a formula for winning is to also this, that to commit to a winning discipline. Victory always requires discipline. Uh, verse number 25, it says, Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. I see a, I see a couple of Green Bay jerseys. Uh, Packer jerseys out there. Bart Starr was a Hall of Fame quarterback for the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, and he had a great statement. He said, we all have a will to win, but do you have a will to prepare to win? Now, I, I listened to that. I, was, uh, I actually went to an FCA banquet that he was speaking at, and I sat there and I thought, I agree with that statement. And then I thought, that statement's about me. I love to win. I'm all about winning. If I play something, I want to win. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to prepare to win. Practice? And I'm like, Allen Iverson, practice? Hey, what are you talking about? I just want to show up for the games. 
But if you're going to win, it requires practice. It requires discipline. Now, now Paul, he says, there's a couple of necessary disciplines to prepare to win. He said you have to have self-control. And that's a really interesting thing that he told the church in Corinth to have self-control. Corinth had in their city a temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Now, I'm not against love, but this wasn't the kind of love, this is not biblical love. I mean, this was a, it was a promiscuous love. They had temple prostitutes there. And so Paul's telling these people, I know that, I know what your background's like, but if you're going to be victorious, you have to practice discipline, physical discipline. You have to lay aside sin, be disciplined, and follow after God. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. To be a winner, you got to lay aside stuff that weighs you down. I read a story about a, an expedition left England in 1845 to find a passage through the Arctic. Now, here's what they brought with them. Two ships jam-packed with supplies. They brought a 1,200-volume library. They brought crystal, goblets, silverware with all the officers' names on the handles, a bunch of food, and then 12 days' worth of coal in case their ships got into trouble. Guess what happened? They're going through the Arctic. They ended up getting frozen in the Arctic. Now, the good news is they had plenty of goblets and silver. Bad news, 12 days worth of coal. Every person on that ship died, froze to death. When they went to try to rescue these men, they found two men who were dragging a sled full of crystal goblets, books, and silverware. They'd made it 65 miles away from the ship, and they had died dragging all that extra weight. And I sat there and I thought, what are you thinking? You are in the Arctic and you are dragging along goblets. Why? And then I thought, we do the same thing. We go through life dragging baggage that we need to let go of in order to reach the finish line. And some of us were carrying around the baggage of, of, of past hurts, and we won't let go, and so we're carrying around a grudge, slowing us down. There's some of us, and we're, we're hanging on. We say we want to follow Jesus, but we are hanging on to sins in the past because these are things I really enjoy doing. God, I'll follow you, but I'm going to drag this with me. And then we get further and further and further behind. Paul said if you're going to be victorious, you lay aside those things which weigh you down. And to do that requires self-denial. The Bible tells us, verse 27, Paul said, I discipline my body, I bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Those who deny themselves are the ones who win. You know, great athletes, elite athletes, they will deny themselves of ho-hos and twinkies eating good foods, deny themselves of leisure time in front of the TV to exercise in order to win. Students, good students do the same thing. They, they deny themselves of things that they want to do, things that are maybe fun to do, so that they can spend more time studying. Why? So that they can succeed and be victorious. Churches that are going 
to help, or they're going to reach the finish line, deny themselves of simply serving themselves and going out and serving others so that they can give Jesus to other people. Now, Jesus said, if you follow me, it, it requires denial. Self-denial requires discipline. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what does it require to win? Have a winning attitude. Commit to a winning discipline. And here's the last one. Expect a winning finish. If, if you make a commit, I'm going to follow Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. Expect victory. Don't be Debbie Downer and expect to lose. Don't say, if I follow Jesus, this is what I'm giving up, but I guess I'll do it anyway, like it's some horrible thing. Expect victory. Here's what I believe. A winning attitude with a winning discipline equals a winner at the finish line. When you run a race, there is a goal in that race. Verse 24 says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. And I love this part. Run in such a way as to win the prize. What is the goal of a runner when he goes into a race? What's he trying to do? He's win. It's to win. You, I, I, nobody ever enters into a race saying, I want to finish last. The runner race, uh, to win the race. And now how does he win? He prepares to win. He prepares. Now how does he prepare? Practices. He puts his body through rigorous exercise. He sweats. He struggles. He's running for a prize. He does all those things because he's running for a prize. What's the prize? In verse 25, Paul said, we run for a wreath. Now, in Paul's days, in the Isthmian Games, when you won the race, the victors would wear a wreath. You know, like a plant on your head. I'm sure it looked really good. Let me tell you something. After a few days, and this is my guess, I think it would wilt. Right? So you put your body through all of that struggle, all of that turmoil, to win a wreath that's not going to last. Paul says when we run, we are running for a prize that lasts forever. What are we running for? Running for Jesus. Now, what does that lead to? It leads to the prize of heaven. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When you participate in the race running for Jesus, there are blessings that come with it. Eternal life. Now, I, this is true, it's true in all areas of life. If you participate in the race, there are blessings that come with it. You know, I, one of the things that I do, I don't, I, you know, I don't, there's a lot of things I don't do. One thing I do is I, I will run. I run about four, four times a week. Now, I run, but because I, I'm not going to, y'all, I'm never going to win a medal. You know, and running is actually too big of a word. I jog. You know, I, I jog. And so I run, but, but just simply because I do those things, there are benefits I receive from just simply participating in the run. I can share with some some of them uh, to you. Some of the benefits I receive. I, for me, uh, my blood sugar level is lower whenever I run. Whenever I run, it um, it makes me it makes me you know stronger. It's, it's good for your heart. Whenever I run, you know it it impresses Emily. 
um, whenever I run. There's just a lot of great benefits that come with me running. So there's blessings that come with it. If you run the race of life for Jesus, there are blessings that come with it. What are the blessings? Philippians 4 says you can have a peace that is beyond all understanding. Some of you have experienced that before. Scripture says that we can have assurance. When we follow Jesus, we can have assurance that we will have eternal life. We can have assurance that God listens to our prayers. Now, how did Paul achieve as his goal and get his prize? He didn't sit around just simply hoping for it. He got up and he made a commitment. I'm going to seek you. Verse 27, he says, I discipline my body. I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. What was the result of his commitment to God when he came to the end of his life? Here's what Paul wrote. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, as a follower of Jesus, it's my hope, and it should be your hope as well, to be able to say the same thing. I have run the race. I finished the course, and now I will enjoy the spoils of victory that God has promised to me. But to see that happen takes perseverance, takes discipline, commitment. I can give you an example of this. One, one of my favorite running backs when I was a kid, and I actually watched professional football, was uh, Walter Payton, the Chicago Bears. Incredible, incredible athlete. He was on Monday Night Football, and they were talking about at the time how many how many yards he had gained throughout his career. And when you add it all up, it was over it's like nine or ten miles of rushing that he had done throughout his career. They said, "But here's what makes that incredible. It's a great stat. But think about this: he ran nine to ten miles, getting knocked down every four point six yards. But every time he was knocked down, he got back up, and he continued." To run. As that, that is the Christian life. The Christian life is in this life. Where we are going to face trouble and hardship in this life. The Bible's very honest about it. Jesus said, John 14, 33, in this world you will face tribulations. James said, Hey, listen, it, it is you're going to face trials of various sorts. Peter told us, he said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which await you. You're going to face trouble. But none of them say quit and give up. They say remain faithful in the race. When you get knocked down, get back up because God is bringing victory. He's bringing victory. And I want to be part of it. So what's what's the formula for victory? Have a winning attitude. Yes, but believe it. Whenever we are told we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, let's believe it. Commit to a winning discipline. Say, God, these are things that I want to do, but you have told me to turn away from sin because it is the best thing for my life. And so, God, I will discipline myself to turn away from things that slow me down in my walk with you. What happens if I do those things? I'm going to win. I'm going to come across the finish line. And I will live in victory because of God. Now I, now, I know this. I know there are some people here who have been knocked down in life. Matter of fact, I'd say all of us have been knocked down. The longer you live, the more you're going to get knocked down. 
And it could be you've been knocked down so many times, you're at a place in your life where you say, you know, I'm tired of being back up. I'm just worn out. And it could be that there are others of you, and you've been knocked down physically. And there are some physical challenges that you're facing, and it just seems like they are never ending. And after a while, you are just at a point in your life where you say, I don't want to get up anymore. It's caused you to feel defeated. Let me share with you just a a promise that comes from God's Word. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for for the good of those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. You hear that? It says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. For, for others of us, it's time for us to start expecting God to work through our lives. You know, just simply, instead of us just simply talking about God, why don't we expect God to move in us? Because that's what he says he will do. It's time for us to expect big things from God. To expect that God can use us. But it could be it's time for some of you to know that before you can experience victory, you've got to make sure you're on the right team. That you're on God's team. How do we do that? You surrender your life to Him today. Now here's how I'd like to end the service. I'd just like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe some of you today say, you know what, I, I want to live in victory, but I want to make sure I'm on God's team. That's you, just where you are, you can just silently pray to the Lord and just say, say to Him, talk to Him, say, Lord, I I." I know I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to be disciplined. I wanna, I'm turning away from my sin, and Lord, I will live for you. I believe that you died for me and rose from the grave, and so today I am coming before you, asking you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you to take your bulletin. You can open it up. Fill out that contact form. Just check that line. I commit my life to Christ today. And you can tear it out. And as you're walking out of the service, well, of us are holding baskets. And you can drop those slips of paper in those baskets. And we can get you some information in the mail about growing in a walk with Jesus. And you can know this. You, you, will, you will have victory. For others of you, why don't you just simply tell God, say, God, today I'm going to expect you to work through me. Have that, have that attitude where you believe, where you're going to believe God's word. Say, God, I'm going to trust that you will work in my life. That my life matters. That what I say and what I do, it counts. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Jesus, that we will live in victory and that we will expect you to do great mighty things do them through us and I pray this in Christ's name Amen